In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I know you are. I know you are. We've had people waiting. We've got Randy of the, the Super Triple. He's waiting for the show. Valier Plain is waiting for the show. Mm-hmm. Romero Stokes. Well, here somebody, we are. So, ro- we've got a Romero Stokes sighting. He says he could not oh, wait boy. for the show. Somebody going to get like grainy footage of him walking through the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Hey. Then we can debate it for 20 years whether or not we see a zipper. (laughs) Hey, Lynn, can I tell you? I really thought Bigfoot was going to be much more of a going concern as an adult when I was a kid. Oh, everybody did. Like, I really did think we would get to the bottom of the Bigfoot issue by the turn of the century. Everybody did, man. It seemed like they were it seemed like they were top men looking into Bigfoot. Exactly. When we were kids. Exactly. And you was finding Bigfoot all over the place. It's like it's like that in a Bermuda Triangle. Well, ain't nobody had any trouble with the Bermuda Triangle in 30 years. I, well, see now here's the thing. I'm glad you brought that up, Vince. Bigfoot <laughs> Bigfoot has yes. been debunked, right? Has it? Has it? Have top men debunked it? I don't. Is that the consensus? I don't know about top men, but it's been debunked. <laughs> Are you a zipper truther? <laughs> you see the zipper in that old in that picture? I saw buttons actually. Um, <laughs> but Bigfoot has been debunked, and if I okay, if I remember correctly. So has the Loch Ness Monster. You know what? I'm going along with you right now. I have not necessarily debunked them. <laughs> I've not seen anyone that I've closed the book on it. I believe those two have been debunked. However, I don't believe or I don't remember reading anywhere where the Bermuda Triangle has been debunked. Right, right. You just don't hear about it anymore, which in and of itself is suspicious. That's true. Very true. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Michelle Mission. (laughs) How come no one talks about the Bermuda Triangle anymore? Two men. Like, that was a real issue. One podcast. All the theories and conspiracies you can handle. (laughs) 
My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue our review of every black film ever made, that is, in fact, the actual Michelle Mission, and we come to you streaming live on Facebook, on our Michelle Mission Facebook group, as well as on YouTube slash Michelle Mission, Vince has selected a... I, I would say this might satisfy as a bit of a cult classic. Would you say this is a cult classic, Vince, or just a classic film? You know, I think that's worth discussing. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Let, let ask me at ask, ask me at the end of the episode. At the end of the episode, when we reach the conclusion of our review of 1992's Deep Cover. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, uh, a.k.a. Larry Fishburne. Uh, Easy. <laughs> you know he's sensitive about that. Jeff Goldblum and directed by Bill Duke. This is Vince's selection right. for today's stop on the Michelle Mission. But before we go there, we want to say hi to everybody in the Facebook group. Deborah Battle, Robert Monroe Jr., Aaron hey. Fry. Hey. Hey. Each and every one of you is checking us out and leaving your comments on our Facebook and YouTube streams. Uh, we want to say thank you for checking us out. And we also want to follow up on people who have sent us feedback in regards to everything that we do including our past shows such as last week's review of a goofy movie we were we heard from michelle a goofy movie <laughs> we heard from michelle fitz <laughs> peace and blessing hey michelle I have been an avid listener of the Michelle Mission as well as the Black Tribbles for some time now. Ooh, that's nice. Hey. I just want to say that. Tribble one, tribble all. <laughs> I just want to say that you guys are wonderful at what you do. Now, oh, getting, to oh, the, thank you. getting to the subject of this email, when I saw that you were going to <laughs> review the Goofy movie, I hollered. I raised a house full of children <laughs> who are in their late 30s to their late 20s. And in our house, this is definitely considered a black movie. There you go. The reason for this has never been discussed nor debated. It's just understood. The majority of their peers all agree. On social media, this is often stated. I'd have to admit that I do agree with the points that you both made about this animated film. I guess we have to chalk this one up to... I guess we have to chalk this one up to the hood. Peace and love, Michelle Fitz. So, hey, you know who else loves a goofy movie? Who? I was waiting for you to say who. Like, it was an actual question. Uh, Adam, my four-year-old, yeah, has watched it 20 times since last week. Was that his introduction to... So you watching the movie, was that, that was, his introduction to the movie? 
he wasn't even watching the movie with me, I didn't think. He was like over in the corner playing. Mm -hmm. But apparently, it, like this touched a chord with him. Wow. Like, like, like this is his jam. Wow. The Goofy movie. That so there you go. Not the extremely Goofy movie. He's a little <laughs> ambivalent about that. I don't know if that one will make it to the mission, to be, to be fair. Um, <laughs> we have another email, Vince. All right. From Isaiah Taylor. Hey, Isaiah. She asked a question. By your definition, okay. would you consider Gone with the Wind a black movie? Mm. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think you can consider Gone with the Wind a black movie. Um, is it a a very uh, 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 um, monumental movie in black Hollywood history? In Hollywood history, in 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 fact. Yes, it is. But is it a black movie? No. Right. I agree. I, I don't think it's a black movie, but I do think it is a movie that... How do I want to put this? I'm not really interested in hearing anyone talk about it but black people. Because mm. I, th I think those are the, 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 like, the, the most interesting critiques that I've seen of Gone with the Wind have been um, informed by race and gender, frankly. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like black women talking about Gone with the Wind is a podcast I would listen to every week. I feel you on that. Uh, she go Like they just went and got different... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. She continues, Aziza continues, um, if we don't consider it a black film, what white actors... Would you cast in the role of Mammy and Pricey? I'm not sure who Pricey. I guess Pricey. I don't remember Pricey from the movie, but in the but yeah. in the Mammy role, the role that won Hattie McDaniel's her Oscar. If you had to cast that as a white person, who would you cast in that role? But see, that's just it. You can't cast a white person. Like like I, like I understood her question. And without it being set during the Civil War, without it being set during slavery, without this very specific apologist depiction of slavery, mm -hmm. the, the entire House of Cards falls. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, like there is no movie without slavery. It's, it's like we, you and I talked uh, two or three years ago about a film that uh, Sofia Coppola made, and it was a remake of a film. Oh. And I don't remember off the top of my head, but but in the original, the film was set in the South, and and it was set during the Civil War, and she said she just didn't want to deal with slavery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So because of the particulars of the plot, there just weren't any black people in the film. And you and I talked about how cowardly it was and, and everything that went along with mm -hmm. it. But because it was like three women in a house, I think, or it was like a school. It was the beguiled. You, the beguiled was the name of the movie. Right. Like she could kind of thread the needle in a voice. Yeah. Yeah. 
But that's what Gone with the Wind is about. Exactly. Exactly. You can't get away like, from like it. You, so, so it's almost like by our own definition, we're kind of arguing it is a black movie. Mm-hmm. Because it because it, it does fall apart. Like you cannot have it without black people. She has an interesting question. She continues on. Aziza, she's a she's a she's a woman with questions. She has a question okay. in regards to the film Philadelphia, the uh the okay. movie that starred Denzel Washington and Tom Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. The movie made yeah. at the onset of the AIDS virus. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. there one of my favorite Tom Hanks films? Was there less fear of black people than those suspected of having AIDS? Would the story be as powerful if the lawyer were white? In some ways, Denzel's character appears more empathetic. Because of his race. Thank you for the excellent reviews, Aziza. That's really interesting. I've never thought about Philadelphia as a black film. Yeah, I don't know if I would consider it a black film, but I will say that I do think Denzel's character, being a black person, his reactions to the Tom Hanks character and to the whole situation, I think um, hit home a little bit more because he is black. Because how he initially doesn't, he kind of initially is very leery of being in sure, his company sure. and working with him and touching him and, and things of that nature. Um, and is also very dismissive about his lifestyle in general. And I think he's called to check himself. He definitely is called to check himself on that throughout the film. And I think that hits home a lot more because he is a black person who you would think might be more empathetic to uh, that situation. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That's actually one of my pet peeves. The um, stereotype that black people are somehow more homophobic mm-hmm. than other demographics. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I like about Philadelphia, ironically, is I think that is a role where it's not like that 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 film or or, or that popular culture black homophobia. Like, I think what makes Denzel Washington's character such a great character is he does have this everymanness to him. Right, right. And, you know, certainly from the moment, from you, you know, that this film comes from. But I don't know. That's really interesting. I realize I haven't watched Philadelphia in probably 10, 15 years. Really? Yeah. And, and I really like Philadelphia. Yeah, I find myself, Philadelphia is a film that, it dawned on me um, not long ago that I seem to find myself watching every two, three years because I really enjoy that film. I enjoy Tom Hanks' performance. Yeah. I enjoy Denzel Washington. I enjoy um, the slept-on performance by Anton- uh, Antonio Banderas in that film. Antonio, yeah, yeah, he's really good. You know what it is? Tom Hanks slips off my radar somehow. Like, I never, ever watch, like, you know, like Castaway was on the other night. Like, I never, ever rewatch a Tom Hanks movie without going, why haven't I watched this more recently? Really? 
And then like I immediately forget. I know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Because I think he's a great actor. And, and I think he's one of those actors who is so great. He makes it look effortless. Mm -hmm. So I think I almost take him for granted. Is there any actor who you find yourself rewatching more of their work than any other? I mean, you, you know, no big surprises. Pacino. Mm. You, you know, um, Denzel. Like, I think Denzel Washington is another one who makes it look effortless. That's true. But then when you rewatch it, like, you, you, you like, get different colors mm -hmm. from him. Um... And you know I like the characters. You know, I, you know I love the character. Actors. I know. So, right? so you know, a CCH Pounder. Um, you, you know, I texted you earlier about my my dude, Roger. You, you know, I will, Smith. You know, I will stop. Well, I'm. I don't care what he's in. I'll just stop what you know what I'm doing and watch him. Yeah, I will. Say, I will uh, say he is an actor that watching doing this this show, doing the Michelle Mission, and listening to you speak of him. He is an actor who I have uh, grown to appreciate a lot more. I never disliked his work before, but I've really taken note of how many different colors he brings to uh, the set and, and to whatever role he's, he's ridiculous. in. He is absolutely ridiculous, man. He's ridiculous. He, he's, he's ridiculous. How, how does he even exist? <laughs> like, he's ridiculous. But but we'll we'll talk about Roger Gouvernet Smith, who's in this for like a half hour. Right? Right? He's like, let me just come and bless y'all real quick. <laughs> hey, uh, Vince, this uh this past week, the Emmy Awards, uh their their nominations were made public. And more than yes. a few of our favorites have garnered up uh, a few nominations. Uh, I'm looking in the best comedy and right up there with uh, Schitt's Creek, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Good Place. There is a little HBO series that could insecure. Right. I'm, I'm very happy. Go on, Issa Rae. There you go. And Issa Rae herself actually garnered a nomination, I believe, um, for Best Actress in a Comedy Series. So, Lynn, you might be gone. I don't know if again. other people Jesus can Christ. see you or not see you, but here we are. Hey there. And I'm by. Oh, and, and Lynn is back. <laughs> hey there, everybody. Oh, the, all right. The magic of live internet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was I was gonna hold it down. I was ready to hold it down. <laughs> oh, the magic of live internet. Anyway, as I was saying, uh, Issa Rae has garnered a nomination for best actress in the comedy alongside Tracy Ellis Ross. Yes, good work with for Tracy Ellis Ross in the black actor in a comedy. You have. Don Cheadle, as well as for his for his Showtime show Black Monday, 
as well as yes. Anthony Anderson for Blackish. Solid work. He and Tracy Ellis doing solid work. Consistently, too. Mm-hmm. And look at a show that we actually did a very special joint podcast with the uh, with the Black Triples on Watchmen. Man. How many? 26 nominations. Uh, Watchmen garnered, yeah, 26 nominations <laughs> for Watchmen. Uh, Everyone associated with Watchmen got nominated for an Emmy. Yes, yes. I think they were also, they were nominated from Best Best Actress to Regina King all the way down to um, best, best Commissary. It was like everything. Right, right. Everything. Right. It's like best, best boy. Best, best boy. Exactly. Uh, Gene Smart got a nomination. Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Louis Gossett Jr. And Javon Adipo got nominations for supporting actor all in one category. It's such, such a good cast. And such a good and, cast. And, and just to, you know, it, while we're shouting them out. Give some love that in that category as well. Titus Burgess was nominated for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So good for him. Show some love for that. I like Titus Burgess. Now, here's a show I think you said that you've watched. Didn't you say that you watched the Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO? I do. I do. They won a nomination for for Sketch Series. Good for them. Good for them. That's a show that I thought had a rocky start, mm-hmm. like maybe the first couple of episodes. But boy, once they hit their stride, they hit it hard. Yeah. I Yeah, very happy for them. Very happy for them. And Angela Bassett actually got a nomination for guesting on that <laughs> yes. show. Yes. Yeah, she was in, I think, the Bad Bitch uh, support group. Nice. A very funny skit. Yeah. Nice. So congratulations. I mean, there's there's loads of no, uh, nominations out here, ladies and gentlemen. You can check them out. And there's loads of people of color of all shades that have been nominated. So I wish them all the best of luck. Shout out to uh, RuPaul, who has been doing the damn thing with the drag race for I don't know how many years. I don't watch the show. It's just not it's not I'm not it's demographic, but it's a show that I hear nothing but good things about. It's been on for years. She's already won awards. Shout out to RuPaul still doing it. Hey man, just to circle back to Issa Rae in the in the in the words of Issa Rae, I'm I'm pulling for everybody black. Amen, amen. So. That's right. And in, in in the in the words of somebody who means a great deal to me, live my life like black on black on black on black on black. That's how we live. There you go. There you go. There yeah, you go. So so congrats to all. There you go. Oh, real quick, because I know you you had mentioned it before. I know you're a huge fan of Westworld, and Thandie Newton was nominated for... I uh, am. Here's the thing, though. Yes, Th- she was. Thandie Newton was nominated for Supporting Actress in Westworld. I would have thought, I I thought that she'd be the lead. She certainly seems to be the one that I see getting... That's some the- bullshit. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's all It's politics. It's politics. It's Samuel Jackson getting nominated for supporting actor for Pulp Fiction. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. 
is just with Tandy. Did you read? Did you read her interview? Did we talk about Ooh. that? Did we talk about that crazy interview? Ooh, yes. If you have not read Thandie Newton's interview, ladies and gentlemen, I think mm. it's on with Variety. I thought it was in Vulture. You're right. It's in Vulture. Was it it's Variety? Vulture. You're right. It's Vulture. I knew it was a V. Yeah. Yeah. She did a one-on-one interview. Tandy. Where she, man. man, she torched the earth, man. And uh, she did not come to play with y'all. She did not come to play. And I, I do not. And, and, and this is what I appreciate about her as well. She's an equal opportunity burner because she lit some flames to her own feet in that interview as well on some of the roles that, yeah. she, oh, that yeah. she took and, you know, some of the things that she did in her career. And she's like looking back on it, it's like, you know, like, eh, you know what I mean? If I had known better, if I was like a little bit more wiser, a little bit more educated sure. and, and thinking about and she admits a little bit less about self, you know, I would have certainly done some things differently. Hey, man, when you know better, you do better. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I did. But it was a great interview. Great interview. Great interview. Look it up. Thandie Newton's interview on Vulture. It is amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, Vince. Um, uh, you know, I think it's time for us to get into our review. Okay. I will say this, that it didn't come up. After our conversation last week, about support and 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 crafts and hair care, mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed in the group, people posted like four different articles <laughs> about barbers and hair. I like that actually touched a bit of a core, uh, uh, you, you know, yeah. with with that touched a nerve with people because it's it's an issue. It is very much is. It is an issue, and just a little foreshadowing. Lawrence Fishburne's beard in deep cover. Immaculate. Lawrence Fishburne looked like he got a haircut between each take. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, like Lawrence. First of all, uh, all right, I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it for the review. All right. I, I'm just saying. You know how we said the shorthand? Yes. Like Lawrence Fishburne was clean cut and blah blah blah. And then they put, didn't it, the very next scene they showed him undercover, and it was immaculate. Yeah. I said, oh. We're in good hands. We're in good hands. Bill Duke, Bill Duke had Mighty Fawn show up on the set. <laughs> yeah, they had them. They had them nice. They had them light. They had them lined so, up. Right. They definitely had them lined. They, up. they had them lined up. I said, "Oh, we're in a good. We we're in good they hands." Had them lined up. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Please send all of your feedback. Email us at michomission at gmail.com. Uh, you can like and follow us on all the social medias at michomission. Uh, you'll find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join the Facebook group, Michaud Mission. Uh, so you can holler with the triple along with all of our missionaries. Right now, let's get into our review of 1992's Deep Cover. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Support Black Podcast. Meet Shannon 
Cameron, Lauren, and Mel, four black women who are bonded by nerd culture as they discuss all things comics, games, movies, and TV. Join them bi-weekly on the Nerds of Prey podcast. That's Nerds of Prey, P-R-E-Y podcast. A different kind of nerd culture podcast because they love you back. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and every place that you find the best in podcasts, including nerdsofpreypodcast.com. Check them out. And remember, support Black Podcasts. life on the street is you know how it's gonna be it's always the same it's always getting worse Hasta la vista. on these streets one color rules green it's not 10 kilos we want we want 20 because we're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know john where are you moving this stuff he's gonna get you busted no i won't on these streets nothing's what it seems to be is that our bust yeah well, who is he Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal if he wasn't the perfect cop. Did you ever take a look at your psychological profile? You score almost exactly like a criminal. I'm looking for somebody who will go under and stay under. What does he have to do? Buy drugs? Sell drugs? Set up the people that I don't want to bust. Because there's only one rule in this game, John. Don't blow your cover. Do what you want to, but don't try to sit down while I get down. Not, not There's a lot of money to be made out there, baby. You know, the more we have, the more we can move. Business is improving. From almost nothing to almost something. Oh, are you an ambitious boy? They're going to kill us. They're not going to kill anybody. We're too valuable to them. There's no such thing as an American anymore. No blacks, no whites, no nothing. It's just rich people and poor people. Larry Fishburne. Don't blow your cover. Deep cover. Deep cover. 1992 action film noir. Directed by Bill Duke, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, and Charles Martin Smith. The film plays about a, Fishburne plays a police officer who goes undercover in a sting operation in Los Angeles to bring down a West Coast drug cartel. The film received very positive reviews, being likened by many to a modern film noir um, by such noted critics, including Roger Ebert. It is also notable for the theme song of the same name, composed by Dr. Dre and the then-newcomer, the young pup, Snoop Dogg. This is Vince's selection for tonight's stop on the Michaud Mission. Vince, what say you of Deep Cover? Uh, I, I love this movie. 
you, you know, start there. I love this movie. I think Deep Cover is a movie that I always thought was a great movie. But watching it today, I realize a little more than halfway through, it becomes an extraordinary movie. I think just from the very beginning, the, the, the bones of this thing are fantastic. We, we talked a little bit uh, before we start um, the review about Roger Gouverneur Smith. But just just from top to bottom, this cast is is an amazing cast and and is a it is a film that is filled with performances that are way better than they had to be way better than they had to be uh glenn turman is in one scene right one scene as uh lawrence fishburne's character john's father in a flashback Mm -hmm. and in one scene He creates an entire character. You see the complicated relationship between he and his son. You see humor. You see anger. You see tragedy. One scene. And then he's gone. Roger Gouverneur Smith, we just said it. I'll say it again. He's he's just a gift. He's just a gift. Mm -hmm. He's in this film for a half hour. Yep. Or he's in the first half hour because it's not a solid half hour of him. I think he's maybe four scenes. Yeah, maybe. And the 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 depth and range and and characterization that he brings to this this sort of fast talking, slightly drug addicted, sleaze ball drug dealer Eddie. Mm-hmm. Is is magnificent. Maybe the best scene in the film is between him. It you know has him in it, and again, not in the film that long. Clarence Williams the third. We've talked about Clarence Williams the third. Another one who, frankly, I thought was in this film more than he is. Yeah, yeah. You, you know he's very imp- but he's very important, and his footprint is all over. And, and as he plays. Uh, a character that you know frankly could be boring you know he's very straight arrow he's he's the moral compass of the film but Clarence Williams III brings this wonderful strange energy Mm -hmm. to all of his performances so that there's this wonderful monologue where he's talking to John's character about um the scourge of drugs on the black community and he's talking about his beautiful African-American babies and how he would get angry if someone tried to kill them. And he has this wonderful line reading where he says if someone did that, he would be on them like stink on duty. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a specific and, again, off-kilter read to this character that, it's it, again, it's just wonderful. Um, Charles Martin Smith, who plays... The FBI agent who is um, John's uh, immediate super uh, superior. He's like his handler. I've always liked him. He's like his handler, and I've always liked him. You, you know, I, I think he's maybe I, I don't know. For to me, I know him most from this and from the Untouchables. Right. And I love this unassuming energy that he brings to this sort of career agent. Mm-hmm. 
but there's a blade underneath right. it. Right, right. You know, there's this real edge to him that, that I love. Victoria uh, Dillard doesn't have much to do. I think the best thing I can say about Victoria Dillard is that when she is in scenes with Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne doesn't devour her. Okay. Like this, like these are actually scenes between two people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is no small feat for Lawrence Fishburne in this movie, who obviously I'm leaving um, for the end. Speaking of, of actors who I know them from certain places, uh, Gregory Sierra as the drug lord. Here you go. I vaguely remember him from Barney oh, Miller. Oh, really? Like, I remember him, but like when I think about Barney Miller, like whenever I watch an episode, like a rerun, and I see him, I'm like, oh, yeah, he was yeah, on he's Barney on for Miller. Like the first couple of seasons. But come on, man. This is Julio from Sanford and Son. I know. I know. <laughs> he will always be Julio from Sanford and Son. I know. He is not Julio from Sanford and no Son more. in this film at no, all. Not. Oh, he is cold blooded and calculating. And again, this great, wonderful performance. Mm-hmm. You know how good Jeff, you know how good Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie, Lynn? How good is he? He's so good that he. Barely keeps Jeff Goldblum from stealing the movie from That's him. That's true. Jeff Goldblum is extraordinary in this he film. Is. And when you see his transformation from this sort of nebbish, very sort of encoded Jewish lawyer in the beginning who, you, you know, and, and we can talk about we can talk about that characterization because I do think there's something to that. But I think any argument about that characterization, you know, even like like sort of dipping its toe into anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Falls, it falls away because his transformation into this monster by the end is amazing, is actually extraordinary. And, and you know, I'm a Jeff Goldblum fan. And it's funny, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Anthony Perkins and how Anthony Perkins got typecast. And I think what separates Jeff Goldblum from Anthony Perkins is that he brings this sexiness. Oh, yeah, that's most certainly. It's this look. You you know, he brings this, that that he's able to transcend this kind of, you you know, uncomfortable kind of deal that that you get with Mm -hmm. him. And then holding this whole thing together, performance-wise, is Lawrence Fishburne. And and we, we say it all the time. You say it so much that it it almost doesn't mean anything anymore. But but he you cannot take your eyes off of Lawrence Fishburne. Nope. He is absolutely magnetic in this film. And the funny thing is they kind of lampshade it. And and I've said this before once or twice about actors. Like if a white critic said what I'm about to say about a black critic, I would be up in arms. He prowls across. He prowls across this screen. Oh, dude! Like he really, like like he really. You know, at one point, Jeffrey Goldblum's character says he's like this cat, mm-hmm. like this this cat and this predator, and it's super racist. And it speaks to you know this sort of embedded racism that Goldblum's character has. Mm-hmm. But he is Lawrence Fishburne is just predatory dude from the very beginning the whole movie to the very the whole movie every scene that you see Lawrence Fishburne just walking 
all the the whole time he's walking in this film, and mind you, 1992, Lawrence Fishburne is in. He's probably in his what early 30s by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still, still a young, a very man. young man. Um, and he's and unlike the Hollywood stars of today, he is a strong-looking man without being so you know overly muscled or anything like that. The whole time he's walking in this, I'm like, yo, this, this is Black Panther walking across this group. Yeah. That's the oh, whole yeah. time I'm watching oh, him, yeah. man. And just with the clothes, the way that his, 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 his threads were just laying off of him, I'm like, yo. All of it. This is another film, talk about running jokes. I hate voiceover. I love the voiceover. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Because his... His voice is like another character mm-hmm. kind of bringing the action together. But this is a film, again, I think it's a great film. It, it's, it's running on, on all cylinders from the beginning to the end. But as I mentioned, I think what made this film transcendent for me this time around was something that Bill Duke in the script does. And Bill Duke's direction is fantastic. For this to be his second film, he is assured. He is confident. Mm-hmm. There, there are there are, are are set pieces and scenes that you you realize you haven't been breathing mm-hmm. for two three mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, the blocking, the editing, everything about the direction of this film is top notch. But this is a story that I don't know. In 1992, we had seen it a lot before, mm-hmm. but certainly in 2020, we've seen the guy that goes undercover. Yep. We've seen the guy that goes undercover. You talked about this being in a noir tradition. The noir tradition, again, we talked about it a few weeks ago, and and, and you know, I'll again uh, talk about film blackness by Michael Boyce Gillespie, Gillespie, who uh, talks about this the being tempted by the dark side, if right. you will. And oftentimes when we see these films, we know there's going to be a complication with the, the character who is undercover and there's going to be some type of complication. I think there are two things that are extraordinary about this film. The first thing is that the complication is not one that we usually see where the cop that goes undercover realizes that these people are people. And now he, you know, he feels some type of doubt about turning them in. Right. I love the fact that the underworld in this film, these are all terrible people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the beginning yep. to the middle to the end. You can argue that Victoria Dillard is maybe not as terrible. She's terrible. But she, kno- she knows what exactly. she's involved in. Exactly. She's comfortable with what she's involved in. Uh, Felix, played by Gregory here, is a monster from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Again, David just becomes more and more of a monster. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that the complication is, and they tell you from the very beginning, John, um, um, Lawrence Fishburne's character, John, is good at this. Right. And he likes it. And it makes sense to him. The other thing that happens is that the complication happens about an hour into it, and you realize that there are 45 more minutes before the film goes off. And another part of the complication 
is the United States government. Yeah, right, right. I love the fact that, again, the underworld represented by and, and you know, fairly, unfairly, the fact is it's there. You've got the deviants represented by homosexuality. Mm-hmm. You've got Jeff Goldblum playing this sort of, um, uh, again, arguably anti-Semitic Jewish shyster mm-hmm. who you can't trust. You've got Felix, who's now the, the, the Latino drug mm-hmm. lord. You've got all of these characters that represent this underworld. But then you have Charles Martin Smith's FBI right. agent. Or, or, or rather, agent... Princeton educated, wasp, mm-hmm. very you know very white, yes. very much a part of the government and authority. But halfway through this film, John realizes that they too are part yes. of it. Yes, he sees the whole picture. So now, which he sees the whole picture in a way that noir traditionally does not present. Even in something like Donnie Brasco, which in my mind is the best of the undercover films, mm-hmm. the police are seen as almost an oasis, like they're the true north. And this, the police as a unit are a part of it. Charles, um, I mean, Clarence Williams III plays a policeman who represents what it should mm. be. But it very much presents him as an anomaly. Very much so. Like, he is not representative. So that by the end, when John makes the moves that he makes, and he fully goes to the dark side, and his redemption is not for law and order, his redemption is for Clarence Williams III, you have this amazing last scene where he lays it out. And says, you know, he stole this $11 million from the drug dealers. And he says, if I keep it, I'm a criminal. But if I give it back, I'm a fool. Right, right. So basically, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then he, you know, utters the question to the the viewer. What would you do? Mm -hmm. And you get this wonderful shot of this black man leaving with this new family he's created. And this is a free man. Mm -hmm. This is a free man. So that, again, what was just a great movie, I think, transforms into something that stays with you. I enjoyed Deep Cover a great deal. Um, I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as you seem to have, but I, I don't want to say that I'm knocking the film. First of all, I, too applaud the cast of this of this film i think the cast is like spot on um i think that i think that uh, gregory sierra he never disappoints for me he's just a character actor that i see i've seen in in tons of things um from barney miller to sam from the sun uh he was in the first year or so of Miami Vice from what I remember as well and he That's and he right. pops up on uh he he always popped up in different um films and television series um before he passed not too long ago actually um so he's always an an actor that I've long had a, a great appreciation for it was good to see him doing this good work uh Clarence Williams the 3rd 
you know, this 1992, I think we're in the 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 midst of the we're right in the heart of the 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 Clarence Assance that was happening in Hollywood because he was being yes. rediscovered, yes. you know. Um, yeah. So he was just popping up everywhere. And uh, I think that he does yeoman work in a film that I think initially doesn't know how to play him because initially the, you're, you're introduced to him as a cop and you think that maybe he's a little crooked because he takes a cheap shot on uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character. Um, but then yes. it cuts to them in the interrogation room and he is sincerely apologizing to him for doing that because he realizes that went against how he was raised and how he lived his life as a Christian, which I thought was an interesting dichotomy to introduce into that character. Um, but then I felt that the rest of the film, he falls in so much on the side of the angels that he just becomes like this preaching, nattering bug in your ear that you just can't wait to get away from, you know, as opposed to someone I thought who could have been more of a true conscience on uh, Lawrence Fishburne's shoulder throughout the film, you know, uh, and maybe even a conscience, uh, a heart of the story a little bit. And so I thought that there was a little bit of a missed opportunity with, with that character. But that being said, I think that the film, if, if it suffers in any way, it's because at an hour 47, the film is stuffed with way too many characters. I mean, you, are, you mm. were so invested in, like you said, the opening part with Roger Gouverneur Smith, who just blows the doors off of off the the movie when he he's introduced because his character is so off kilter um, that you're like, yo, what is happening with this dude? Um, and it's and it's real, you know, uh, 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 interesting to see some character being portrayed as more off kilter than Jeff Goldblum because Jeff Goldblum is right. usually the one who is acting <laughs> right, at his right. own speed and is in, in his own dimension in every movie that he's at. But Roger Smith, Roger right. Gouverneur Smith is in a, a dimension that Jeff Goldblum never saw. Like, <laughs> nobody saw the dimension that he's in. But, and it's cool, you're with him. But like you said, you, you play up that character for about a good 20 minutes of the movie, and then the next part of the, then the next... 20, 25 minutes, you're, it, it, it's, you know, you're, the movie has now moved up the criminal rung to Felix, Gregory Sierra's character. And then once he's, once he's, but once he's taken out and he actually, his story like kind of like prolongs a little bit because them, them taking him out also coincides with the turn that you see in your two co-leads, Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum's character. So, yeah, the turn that they both take are running congruent with the the downfall of the Felix character. But when that happens, you still got another 20 minutes in the film. You still got to reconcile, like you said, with the the worm that is turned on the government side as well. 
you know? So I think that, so I think that some of those story beats, as interesting as they are and as well uh, crafted as they are in the beginning of the film, feel a little bit rushed at the end. And you're not, uh, they're not wow. allowed to really capture that, the full weight of them, at least to me, you know? So you would have added more time I would have, to the I film. Think this, I think this is a film that easily could have had a little 15 minutes more of time to it. Quiet, quiet is kept. There's a whole kind of like D plot of Lawrence Fishburne's character kind of um, becoming a big brother, father figure to this young boy yeah. that, that lives next door to him in, the, in this room after he goes undercover. Like, you really could have excised that whole thing out of the movie, and then you have had more room to let th the, these three, four other plots that you had going really breathe and really sink in. I think if you, you take that out, then maybe you have a little bit more exploration into his relationship with Victoria Dillard's character, and she just doesn't become somebody who's just the, the girl in the movie, you know? Uh, so, it, it, I yeah, I, I think this is a film that definitely could have, you know, stood to be lengthened out. Um, that being said, that being said, it is still a film that I think, I agree, sticks with you because of the steeliness of Lawrence Fishburne's portrayal in this film. And... Jeff Goldblum, who, like I said, is almost always in a another speed, another dimension in every film that he's in. But in this film, seems to be, has dialed that back a little bit. And he's right in sync with Lawrence Fishburne. Those two, like, I could have lived with those two going off to have more adventures. Like, I... Right, like actually becoming drunk yes, lords. Yes, I would have been with it because I just loved their vibe with one another. Jeff Goldblum coming off as not just slightly racist, but um, he was some of his, his his racist tones were he was wearing on his sleeve, but he thought, saw himself as yeah, but I hire black people, so you know I can't be racist. Right. Um, so he right. was wearing that on his sleeve, but. Lawrence Fishburne's character wasn't having it. He was calling it, calling him out on it. You know what I mean? Um, and I thought that's yeah. where they actually felt a true friendship. So much so that at the end, when the worm finally turns and and Lawrence Fishburne basically has to out himself to Jeff Goldblum that he is in fact a cop undercover, you feel that Jeff Goldblum is one hundred percent like dude. I don't care. You're my dude now. Well, uh, again, I think part of made this extraordinary to me within the context of these films, mm -hmm. you, you know, noir films or, you, you know, in any, you know, films, basically, that, that you know there's going to be a complication. Yes. I'm not good enough. There's a betrayal. There's uh, my conscience gets the best of me, whatever. What I love about the last 
25, 30 minutes after they kill um, Felix Guzman's Felix Felix's character is that it all works. Okay, okay. Like they're actually good at mm-hmm. this. They are actually, you, you know, everything that they've seeded since the beginning where they say his profile is exactly that of a criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Where he's good at, and this film exists in an amoral universe. Right. right. Like this is not a film where, where, where God is bending it towards justice. Yeah. They just kill and they become more audacious and they get more and more money. And I love the fact that John's character chooses his own moral code, something, again, that they see at the very beginning. Like, you know, you set your own morality, but you don't trust authority. Right. right. So the scene where he, that moment that you're talking about where, where Jeff Goldblum's character says, OK, you're a cop. I don't care. We can still do this. He makes a decision to, again, enact his own moral code. Right. That D-plot with the kid, I think that's important. I think in my mind, I would lengthen it instead of drop that plot. Because because I think there's this wonderful through line to this film that is about children. Okay, yeah. Something that, and, and this is almost a direct quote from Gillespie, where he says that it's easy to look at this as a film about fathers mm-hmm. and father figures, but he theorized that this is really a film about raising children and what you do when you raise children. And whether we're talking about his father, Glenn Turman dying in that, in, in you know, dying, stealing from the, from the liquor store, but still trying to give him lessons, right. you know, telling him this is all you need. I love the fact that he yells at Santa Claus <laughs> And tells him, don't put that stuff in my son's head. All that L stuff. (laughs) Right. You've got David, who is chastising and berating his daughter at home. Mm. Which, you know, just to speak to um, what we talked about with domesticity a couple of weeks ago. I love the fact that David has the quote-unquote most straightforward household. But it's also the most tense domestic situation in the film. That's true where he's yelling at his daughter about, about the math. Lawrence Fishburne, by the end, has put together this family, where the implication is it's he, Victoria Dillard, and the little boy whose mother tried to sell him to him. <laughs> but now they've started this family. And again, it's not a choice between the underworld and the quote-unquote legitimate world. It isn't a choice between black and white. He's forging his own path. Mm. Like, he still has the drug money. You don't have this scene where he and Victoria Dillard go and get married. Right, right. There's no sense that he's adopted the son, adopted the boy. They've just put together this unit. And he again, he strides off from the, from the uh, graveyard and he's just going to do his own thing. So, so I actually think you need the kid. Mm. Like you got to have a kid. Uh, I disagree. So, so that he can be, he has to be a father. Yeah. He has to embrace domesticity. Uh, if you say so, if you say so, I don't, I don't, I don't think he has to embrace domesticity. 
in this film. Um, if anything, I think I think a more powerful message that kind of resonates, but I don't I don't know if it one hundred percent resonates, um, is going back to the scene with Glenn Turman. And I thought it was really just shout out to Glenn Turman, like an actor I don't think who gets the the recognition that he deserves. No doubt. He gives a line reading where he tells this little boy, don't be like me. You don't want to be like me. You don't want to be like me. That's not what you want to be. That it was so heartfelt and honest. Like, I can't imagine. I can't. I mean, there's some of us who you live your life. Like, I, I, I know myself. Like, I know, I know who I was when my daughter was born, right? I know what kind of life I was right. living. And I know that by the time my daughter was no longer just a baby that I was walking around with, and this, this little three, four-year-old who was developing her own thoughts and concerns, and you seeing her personality develop, and you seeing her take in what is happening around her and knowing how much that is going to shape who she is. I know that I said, dude, you can't be that person anymore. You've got to, you've got to make some changes. And I did right for, so it, 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 it hit me for a father to be able to tell their son, you know, very, poignantly and matter-of-factly and with no with no f's to give do not be like me what you see here is not what you want to be what i'm about to do i don't ever want to see you do um that hit me big time and i would have liked to see as he is sliding into the world that he that he is sliding into and embracing what his introduction into this, into the underworld is um, waking up in him. I would have liked to see a little bit of grappling with that. Now, if you, if you see the grappling with that by product, uh, by way of how he is working with the little boy, then maybe I'll give you that. And maybe that speaks to maybe if there, see, if there was more of that storyline there. But right, based right. on what we were given, I d- didn't see that. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. And I don't necessarily think that you have to have the little boy in order to see that. So that's why I don't think as much as, much as it's, it's cool, and 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 uh, Randy Green's watching us, and he referenced that it's uh, one of his best lines, um, favorite lines from the movie is from the little boy, where he says, uh, "When the little the, the mother speaking about a little boy, yes. says, my kid is yeah. clean." Um, my kid is clean. Yeah, I, I think she also referenced that she's clean as well. Um, yeah, she's. I'm. I'm H. I don't have HIV. I'm just putting that out yeah, there. I can be good. I can be good. You know, um, yeah, uh, I think it, it, as cool as some of those scenes were, I think you really could have just excised them whole cloth from this movie and given a little bit more 
given him a little bit more room to breathe, given uh, some of these other scenes more room to breathe. And, like, I think that this could have been just a real tight, true, taut film noir. It's film noir. It's good. And there's a and there is a a a a a confidence and an impressiveness of this film set in 1992, set in the drug world, um, that dares to show both sides of the coin the way that it does. Right? Um, there's an impressiveness to, to that. There's an audacity to doing that to me in 1992. Because and there is an audacity to showing having a film that has violence with consequences because i don't think the violence is right. glorified in this film at all right like um it's a little laughable when he goes into the bathroom to shoot that one drug dealer and he comes over to him like kind of wipes his hand wipes his hand on his chest but that right. still is a powerful moment he 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 and he is seen reconciling with that act in scenes. Well, he's never yeah, murdered. You know what I mean? Yeah, this isn't it, a, it, yeah. He's not super Exactly. Cop. So uh, there, there's an audacity to that in 1992 um, when there is, you know, uh, uh, films all over the place that are glorifying this aesthetic, glorifying this world that, these, that this film is set in. I think that this... Um, movie uh, is smart about being a little bit mature in its depiction of these themes. So I applaud it on that. I like the film. I enjoyed the film. Like I said, oh, no, I, no, no. I yeah, honestly yeah, wish there was more of the movie. <laughs> you just, right, right, right. You gave it the biggest compliment I've ever heard you give a film. <laughs> you wanted more of the film. More. I wanted more of what, of what it was happening. You and I are usually slashing and, <laughs> slashing and, and, and cutting these films up. This film is a half hour too long. I, they could have cut twenty minutes out of this film. Randy Green said that was one of his his favorite lines. Super trouble. What's up, dog? It was one Randy? of my favorite lines. Is when they are riding in the limo, getting away, and um, Jeff Goldblum is about to kill uh, Gregory Sierra's character, right? Felix. Felix about to kick him out of the car <laughs> and Felix says something like you know I'll see you I'll see you and Jeff Goldblum says yeah we'll have dinner we'll have shrimp and he kicks him yeah. out of the car dude yeah. I reround that scene about four times because I was cracking up at that scene I thought it was well here's a Here's the great thing about that scene, because that scene is sort of the bookend to the earlier scene where they're playing the slap mm -hmm. hand with each other. Bill Duke says that whole scene changed as they were filming. It. Really? Like that scene was was, you know, it was supposed to be the slap hand part, but how kind of brutal it became and where Felix slaps mm -hmm. him and emasculates yeah. him. He said that that's something that um, Jeff Goldblum and um, Gregory I just Sierra. forgot his name. Gregory Sierra, that they came up oh, with. Wow. And that that anger that Jeff Goldblum showed took the film in an entirely different direction. Wow. But 
But, you know, to your point in Bill Duke's confidence, the fact that he could step back Mm -hmm. and let these two actors work it out like that. Yeah. Well, that's because that's that's a great. Well, that's one of the things that you often hear when you have an actor who moves into the directorial chair is that one of the first things they do is they kind of like, you know, uh, let the actors play a little bit, you know. Uh, let the actors help them direct. And Bill Duke, who is always struck me as a very minimalist actor, when you see him uh, perform, it, it does not surprise me that as a director, he would be more inclined to kind of like, you know, let these actors do their thing. Especially when you know you're working with, you know, Gregory Sierra, who by now is a seasoned Hollywood veteran, and yeah, Jeff oh, yeah. Goldblum is making a making a name for himself in Hollywood at that time as well. Lawrence Fishburne is really as even though I mean at this even point, though he's been in Hollywood since since he was 15, at this point, this is really his his uh, coming to Jesus moment as a lead actor in this film. Right. Which right. actually, when I, when I peeped that, it made me look through his filmography a little bit, and I'm surprised that Lawrence Fishburne is not the lead in that many films. As much yeah, work as he's yeah. done... He very it's few and far between where he is where a film is put on his shoulders. I I think I think he he is another one of those actors where his character work is so strong mm-hmm. that that he, he that's where he ends up. I, I think he's another one of these guys, almost like Samuel L. Jackson, that inadvertently became a lead actor. Right. Like, he just couldn't be contained over on the side. And, you know, along those lines, it's probably worth pointing out that originally this character was supposed to be white. That's right. And and one of the producers trying to get in on that black thing <laughs> said to the writers that we should maybe change it to a black guy. Right. And and um, one of the Michael writers, told not, not the head uh, writer. No. Michael, it, yeah, because Michael Tolkien is the head writer. Right, there are two writers. Right. Well, it wasn't. Um, it was Henry Bean actually okay. who co-wrote it with them. Henry Bean said that once they start thinking about him being black, how that complicated it from just this sort of stock undercover cop, and and you know not to harp too much on the kid thing but w- one of the things that I love about this film is how it focuses on the actual effects of drugs mm-hmm. like 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 you know we mentioned the the his neighbor who tried to sell her his son he's working with the woman who ends up getting shot who says she has four kids oh that's right that's right joked joked earlier but it's the truth when um, Clarence Williams III talks about, um, you know, his children, the FBI agent, you know, when he has this crack baby, his crack baby speech, yeah. like there's so much of this film. And and I, I just saw something speaking of Vulture. Uh, it, it, it was uh, um, 
remembrance of the film where they interviewed Bill mm -hmm. Duke. And Bill Duke talks about that. Like when we talk about the drug war, we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. There's always this sense that it's this black mass. Mm -hmm. But we never talked about how drugs disrupted families and communities and everything. Um, it's, 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 it's funny. We were talking about Sofia Coppola and, and her father, Francis Ford. I was watching The Godfather the other night. Really? And I always, and I always think about the scene. Where where the mafiosos are together and they're talking about dealing drugs and and you know and there's a debate about whether or not they should go into drug dealing and the compromise that they come to is one of the mafiosos says well let's just sell it up in Harlem to the That's niggas right. they don't have no souls That's right. and the older I get the more I love the fact that Francis Ford Coppola had that line in mm -hmm. the movie. Because there really is or what well is this sentiment that drug addiction and drugs like black people don't have culture and community. Yeah. So you just throw yeah. it at them. And that's another part. You know, again, I love the kid in this movie because so much of this is about, again, fathering and, and parenting and and how all of this disrupts it. So uh, Romero Manuel asked an interesting question, Vince. Is this a story of redemption or a story of changing perspective of how one defines oneself in the world eyes open? I would say the latter. Yeah. I would say the latter. Again, I, I think what differentiates this from the noir tradition is that there is no there is no black and white moral code. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the whole thing falls apart halfway through the mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would agree with you as well. Um, but it still does fit noir. And Romero also asked a, about the soundtrack. And I was going to say, I think it fits in noir in that, again, speaks to Bill Duke, speaks to you, who you've got doing this, speaks to the more um, mature... Uh, uh, depiction of this this uh, genre, which we're in the midst of these films becoming at, at this moment in 1992, in that there are some banging beats in this mute in this movie, but there's not tracks in this movie. You know, it, right. they, they, they actually use the feel, the aesthetic and the sounds of hip hop music without the lyrics, just allowing the beats and the rhythms to carry the, the scenes to actually become the score for the movie. Um, and I thought that that was very smartly done uh, because I I don't think there's much of a score outside of those beats that you hear percussing through the, sh uh, the movie uh, for the most part. And I thought that that was smart. It added to putting you in the place without being distracting. Um, and it, and it's yeah. certainly there certainly were some scenes where, you know, there's kind of like quick montages of him being like a drug dealer on the streets and everything like that, where you easily could have just threw in, you know, 
name rapper X to come in and, and, right, and, right, d- right. and drop a verse or whatever, and they smartly don't. Now, the one bit of rapping you do get in the movie is <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty pitiful. I'll, I'll just put it like that. It's like wow, that's what that like whose cousin is this dude up here? But right. um, you know, and, and and not for nothing. Don't think that uh, I didn't think that you, Vince, were playing a subtle little uh, game with me in that the rapper in this movie has kind of just vaguely resembles play of kid and play. Don't think I didn't I didn't peep that, Vince. Don't think I didn't peep what you were doing there, Vince. Yeah, you you sound like a crazy person. <laughs> I know that was play. I know that was play. <laughs> but that Snoop Dogg is all when he right. he comes in at the end. How about that? I was like, this guy might have a future in You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That young man has a little flow. Yeah, don't stop, because it's 187 yeah. on an undercover. Woo! 187 on the undercover mm. cop. Mm. Mm. Like, he is talking about murdering the police. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah oh, that yeah. song will ring out, man. Ring out. Randy Green's Randy Super Triple says that that song should have been nominated, Oscar nominated. You know what? I agree. It would have been Oscar nominated. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think it would have qualified for Oscar nomination because the film act, the movie, excuse me, the song does not play in the movie. It's only over the end of the credits. Oh, is that how I that think works? That's how it works because the, the song doesn't. Play. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. The beat, if you, you, the the beat from it is in the is in the is in the movie, but the actual song okay. doesn't play until over the credits. And I, I don't. I think it therefore can't be nominated for uh, best song. Well, that sounds like the type of asinine rule that the Academy would have. Cause I always like to take every opportunity that I am given to point out that they didn't want to give Oscar Isaac Hayes, his Oscar for shaft because Isaac Hayes couldn't read. Music. I know. I know. So I, I always like to talk about I that. I know It makes absolutely no sense. Besides driving miss Daisy winning best picture of the year that, um, do the right thing. Wasn't even nominated. That's my favorite rage factoid about the Oscars. They tried to keep Isaac Hayes' Oscar from him because he couldn't read music. In my mind, he should have got two Oscars. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For real. Like, dog, you can read music and you couldn't come up with Shaft. <laughs> so, Vince, would you, would yes. you recommend that people watch Deep Cover? I absolutely would recommend that people watch Deep Cover. And if you haven't seen it in a while, I definitely recommend yeah. it because I think it is a film that 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 keeps giving. I agree. I agree. I would definitely recommend that people watch Deep Cover. I think it's a, I was surprised by how much of this film I had forgotten. Like, I, I honestly, I right. honestly think that the only thing I remembered about this movie was the bathroom scene. That was it. Okay. And even then, you couldn't have oh, told me I, that Jeff I remember. wasn't there. So, 
I re- that Roger Gouverneur Smith scene where he dies is amazing yeah. Yeah, to me. That's a good one. That was definitely a good one. And and the slap hand scene is also fantastic. Now you've played that game before. Have you ever been? Oh yeah. Have you ever been slapped so hard? That you are getting mad at the other person, like because I've played it, and maybe I guess I maybe I was just playing with friends, and we just didn't go that go in on each other like that. But like, he was slapping the hell out of his hands. Uh, look, look, I love the fact, I love how fair the script plays with it. Like when <laughs> when John says in the voiceover afterwards. I knew that Felix was going to kill David or David was going to kill Felix. It was like, yeah, because there's no real coming back from that. True that. True that. Oh, quick little. But no, I never did that. Quick factoid from the movie. Uh, Romero Manuel is reminding me here in the comments uh, that some of the poetry that you hear Lawrence Fishburne's character, John, uh, recite in the voiceover is poetry that Bill Dukes pulled directly from Iceberg Slim. Okay. All right. Yeah. So. All I right. Definitely. The pe- uh, one of the people's poets. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So go check out Deep Cover, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it in a while. It is, I, it's a good film. It's a very good film. Uh, and, it, I th- and, uh, and as one of the few films that Lawrence Fisk, that rests almost solely on Lawrence Fishburne's shoulders, go check out what the brother can do. All right? Yeah, yeah. All right, before we tell you what we're reviewing next week, ladies and gentlemen, we invite you, as always, to send us all of your feedback. Email us at themeshowmission at gmail.com. Like and follow us on all the social media. Uh, That means Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, where you can join the Michelle Mission Facebook group as well and talk to all of the missionaries who have become lifelong friends, it sounds like, it, with, uh, if I'm looking at the chats correctly. Um, and you can subscribe to the Michelle Mission on YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel, so subscribe there where our shows are available for your streaming pleasure. And the Michelle Mission First and foremost, though, is a podcast that is available any place and every place that you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, you name it. If they've got podcasts, the Michaud Mission is there, as well as on the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure. Check them out at thepodglomerate.com and check out all the shows that they have there. The Michelle Mission is available in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM, 106.5 FM, people-powered media here in the city of brotherly love. We call it Philly Cam. Check us out there. Philly Cam. As well as every Monday morning at 9 a.m., wake up with the Michelle Mission on 91.7 FM WKDU, the voice of Drexel University. Okie dokie. Vince. Okie dokie. Artichokey, your turn. My turn. Now, I stretched things last week with a goofy movie. I did. Yes, you did. I admit it. You did. So, I pulled back. I pulled way back. 
But try as I did, I couldn't escape the 90s. I, I, I don't okay. I, I really wanted to go further back, not too far back, but further back than the 90s, but I couldn't. So interesting decade. It was for movies. So, so I landed in 1997. Okay. Where we will visit another film. Some may say possibly one of the better films of director okay. Robert Townsend. As we check oh, out what a young dramatic Oscar winner Halle Berry can do when she's given wow. an opportunity We're to make you laugh. Wow. As Vince and I sit down to review 1997's Wow. Baps. Really? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yes. I told you I feel like having fun. Oh, uh, look. That is really it's so bad, huh? Next week on the Michelle Mission, okay. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet Good again. night, everybody. Be safe. Be well. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.